Welcome to Inside the Labyrinth Podcast. This is one of your co-hosts speaking, Frank. I am an active New York City police officer, and I'm part of Reps for Responders. I've had the honor and privilege to journey through the labyrinth with my other host, Jay, the real Jumpman Jay on Instagram. He's a veteran officer and also part of the SWAT team in one of the cities in New York. We would just like to thank you for journeying through the labyrinth with some of the great guests that we have had on the show so far. We will continue to make episodes with all the positive feedback that we have received. If anyone has any idea, topic, or anyone we would like to interview, please email us at repsforresponders at gmail.com. Reps for Responders is a nonprofit out of Rockland County, New York. We provide free open gym for all active, retired, and volunteer first responders, military, and veteran. Reps for Responders also has a weekly Zoom meeting, which is a support group every Sunday at 7 p.m. to let first responders and military let off steam or talk about anything that they want to talk about, positive, negative, or anything they're struggling with. Reps for Responders has five certified recovery coaches through New York State to help battle addiction and alcoholism. If anyone is struggling, please don't be afraid to reach out to Reps for Responders. You can find us on Instagram at reps underscore four underscore responders or visit our website at repsforresponders.org. Again, from myself and Jay, personally, we thank you. As a recovering alcoholic, I would like to personally thank you because you have kept me sober just for today. All in and have a great day. All right, we're back. Inside the Labyrinth podcast, episode five, season three. Super excited today. First time. Uh, this is going to be a first time uh, for me. I don't know about you, Jay, but uh, who we're about to interview. Uh, super excited. Um, just a role model in 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 life and our job and uh, in the fitness world. So super excited. My name is Frank. I'm a police officer in New York. You guys know if you're listening. Uh, real quick before I kick it over to Jay, um, no matter what apparel, we teamed up with them. Reps for Responders t-shirts are out. For every shirt you buy, uh, Reps for Responders nonprofit gets $10. So check that over. The link will be in the bottom. That's no matter what apparel. And I will kick it over to my man, the one and only Jumpman Jay. How's it going, guys? It's uh, Jason Lacayo, a.k.a. The Real Jumpman Jay. I'm super excited for today uh, when Frank told me we were able to get this guest uh, I kind of lost my mind a bit because I've always wanted to um, to to have a conversation with a guy who has been um, at the level that this man was in the military. So um, I was I was never able to do that on my own, uh, thanks to Frankie and his um, abilities to book solid guests. I'm able to sit in on this conversation, and I'm super stoked about it. So welcome back to the podcast. I hope you guys um, you know are buckled in today. It's going to be a great conversation. Let's do it. Let's jump into Labyrinth. Um, let's introduce uh, Jeff Nichols. Jeff, before we start, we want to thank you for your service, man, and everything that you've done. And uh, how you doing today, man? I'm good. Good. I, I appreciate. Um, it's odd for me still when people thank me for my service. Like I, I think when you leave service, at least from my standpoint, it's a little bit weird. Like now, I'm getting used to it. Almost like people calling me sir. I don't feel that old, um, but, uh, <laughs> but no, it's good though. Like I, I, uh, 
this is again that's why we probably keep doing what we do whether we are serving directly in uniform i think when all of us are going to find a way to serve and i'm still trying to find a way to do that right now even since i've been out of service now for a couple of years yeah that's sometimes when it's you know as cops you, you hear thank you for your service and you get taken back like whoa that person just say that to you you know right. especially with the climate and everything going on now and then you kind of just say thank you and keep going on but sometimes they drive home or sit in the car and be like wow you know they 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 actually meant that you know so we sometimes we don't hear hear it as much or take it in as like you know it's just like a word it's just like a few words and you say all right thank you and keep going with your day but as yeah. i as i get older and i just hit five years and jay what do you have 15 years on right yeah 15 years on it yeah you kind of I mean, I'm still a rookie, but God, you, you, you do take that um, more for like a gratitude thing, like a, like a thank you. So, yeah, um, yeah, like I said, especially in this climate where right. like you get Absolutely. so locked in on one one mindset, and someone could totally say thank you, and you might now it's enough for me to kind of actually pull me out of that mindset. Sometimes where I'm overanalyzing, I might be deep into thought, and 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 it's been it's been good. So Jeff, we're going to jump right into your labyrinth, man. Um, take us back to kind of where you grew up and how was high school for you? Any high school sports were introvert, extrovert? Did you enjoy high school and kind of how was that journey uh, for you? Yeah, high school probably wasn't that dissimilar to me compared to a lot of people, I think. Um, high school for me, where, where I grew up in Iowa, small town Iowa, like wrestling is king. It's like it literally is like varsity blues. The city shuts down arresting me where I'm from you know like um, seven straight state titles our high school had won in wrestling like an absolute juggernaut so sport in this small town where I grew up was was really a big focus um, and that 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 for me was like what kept me out of trouble and everything was sports so I grew up in you know in high school I played multiple sports in high school Baseball is what I fell in love with, and that's what got me into college, really. Like, that's that was my catalyst to play college baseball. Um, swimming was also another sport that I was very uh, – had a lot of affinity for. Actually, I, I pretty much did that just for baseball, just to keep, you know, my knees and shoulders as healthy as I thought it could be, given the, the, the wear and tear sport. And uh, it was good, though. Like, I, I grew up in the Partridge family, truthfully. I grew up, like, in a very – <laughs> you're very conservative we'll call it like middle america utopian white and just everything missing but the white picket fence kind of you know like mm -hmm. my mom and dad uh were married for 40 years until my dad passed happily we'll call it, very happily um dad drove semi his whole life my mom was like a cook or a chef of some capacity i have one older sister and it just i had a great upbringing you know so like some when people listen to like how my life went you know, some of the bad life choices I've made. They're like, how is that possible coming from like, when they meet my mother and they're like, sweetest lady in the world, doesn't mm -hmm. curse, doesn't do anything, you know? And I'm like, where did, where did I go wrong? So I don't mean that in a bad way, but like I grew up in the Partridge family. I love my mom and sister and had a great family in high school. For the most part was good and filled full of sports. That's what it was. And very small kid and very, very, very small child. So I think that's how I ended up finding the weight room. I had just this huge chip on my shoulder for being such a, you know, I was under five foot tall my senior year of high school. So wow. I was a very small child. 
Um, I ended up graduating high school at like about five foot, five two, wow. about 130 pounds. And then by the end of my Jeez. freshman year, I'm 5'10", 200 pounds. So wow. I grew a lot, you know, I just, it was just genes, just, I was a late bloomer and that's kind of, I guess I know I kind of jumped through high school, but <laughs> high school, very small child, big chip on my shoulder, loved sports, was very small. And I, that's, that's, that's the catalyst for my effort being so undersized. All I knew that I could potentially offset sport talent with work ethic. That was the only way until my body could grow. I was like develop skill, develop skill, bit better, get better at skill to offset my size. It did for a bit. And then I finally grew and, and life kind of favored me a little bit after that. Gotcha. So, so like, you, go ahead, Jay, sorry. Go ahead, Frankie. No, no, go ahead, Frankie. Go ahead, go ahead. Wait, so weightlifting was in your life in high school. Cause I know some guys for me, I, I, was, I don't believe in regrets, but I say, you know, only learning experiences, but I do have one regret that I wish I would have trained my freshman year of high school throughout the whole years instead of my seat before my senior year of high school football. You know what I mean? So right. weightlifting was part of your life then. Yeah. I started lifting weights when I was 12. So wow. like I, um, my best friend since still to this day, since third grade, his dad is a dentist um, and very small town the second floor of the dentist office, he had filled full of weight equipment. That weight equipment still is there. And it, it's in the city still just, they, at one point he moved out of the dentist office to an adjacent building, just down the street in a small town, the weight equipment's still there. When I go home, I still work out there. It's changed uh -huh. names a couple of times, but you know, for me, I'm not sure what it was. Like I, the, I remember my high school and middle school at the time, like the library had like muscle and fitness. Like you could, you could see it was in the head in the library. It was like the only, it was like muscle fitness, muscle media. Um, those are the two magazines. I remember seeing those and and back then you'd, you flip through the first 15 pages of muscle fitness. And there was always this section that said kinesiology and it broke down the muscle groups. You'd flip it over and it, it'd show like, what sports are, are, very, are, are those muscle groups prevalently used in? And so yeah, I, I got a subscription for years. I, to this day, I still have, I mean, I don't have the subscription, but I, I, for years I cut out those pieces of paper and put them in a three mm -hmm. ring binder. That three ring binder, when I was 12, 13, 14 years old, that's what I would take to the gym with me. And I would go, okay, I'm gonna work on triceps today and it's gonna help me throw and swim and all these things. And that was how I, how I learned how to do weightlifting was those couple pages from the muscle fitness magazine. Cause gotcha. for me, it was like, how do I get better at sport? Well, these guys are, you know, at the time, like the athletes that I looked up to, it was that timeline of lifting weights became prevalent in the nineties, right? Mm -hmm. You start seeing this real upswing of fitness, this upswing of strength conditioning coaches being, you know, like Nebraska's the, the, the Tennessee's the Michigan's, the big schools started getting strength coaches and it just, I think I just grew up in this timeline where that information was really accessible. And I, I thought that lifting weights would certainly make me better at sports. <laughs> so that's where I, that's, that was my route. I'm taking notes. So that's what I do. If you ever see me jotting stuff, from yeah, no time to time, I take, I always, uh, I take notes on a, when we do these things.
What year did you graduate high school? I graduated high school in 1996. So I'm full. I just turned 42. Um, okay. I, I certainly don't feel, I feel younger now than I did, did 22 truthfully. Well, maybe not 22. I felt pretty good at 22. <laughs> my thirties were a little bit rough. Uh, I was, <laughs> I was rough on my thirties. My personal, I was personally rough in my thirties. So, you know, I think that's looking back at looking back at that, like you're saying, that was your one wish. Um, I wouldn't say that I lifted efficiently at 12 years, 12 years old, but it got me used to making mistakes and it got me past like, you know how it is like when you first you probably everyone always remembers kind of going to the gym. There's that fear that, Oh my God, like people are watching me. They're going to think I'm weak and this and those couple of years of being incredibly weak and young, it got me past caring. I was like, you know what? Because by the time I was 15, I'm like, I got it. This is my plight. All I know how to do is work hard. And I, yeah. I accepted my plight. And then it turned into a good work ethic that turned into once knowledge and wisdom showed up and other people, that is when I was actually able to really apply these principles later on in life. And Wait, yeah. how big are you now? I'm six foot tall, 220, something like six that. Six foot 220? Yeah. Jesus. So you grew, late bloomer. Yeah, I've lost a bunch of weight. I was 260 a couple of years ago. Oh, wow. So I was just powerlifting. That's what I did. I was just lift heavy as, as often as I could. And that was like my way of training. I didn't necessarily coach that way, but I got to a point where like even just my body mass was limiting. Like I couldn't demonstrate the way I wanted to with repetition. It just yeah. got too, I was getting winded going upstairs at 260. It was ridiculous. <laughs> so, so, so what's your, uh, cause we're kind of like a, around the same same stature um what's your um what's your training regimen look like now so you know you were 260 right now you're down to 220 pounds yeah what did you do differently and what's your training look like day to day so now. a lot the biggest thing that's changed for me and that's kind of like you know a couple of years ago i had this really weird reflex we'll call it to my diet um i just my body stopped stopped digesting like a fit even efficiently I got really bloated and really sick for, for 22 days. I threw up after every meal a couple of years wow. ago. So I had, I thought I had some autoimmune issue. Like, so I was like, okay. So I like completely stopped what I was eating. Okay. Let's reset this. Like I was very into starchy carbohydrates through breads and pastas. I ate mm -hmm. a lot of them. That's how I got a lot of my calories. My body wasn't digesting it well at all. So I just cut out all processed foods a couple of years ago. And what I, what I realized ignorantly almost was that, you know, my body tolerated breads and pastas okay, but just not at the quantity I was eating them. Same with milks and dairy. I was digesting okay. it okay to a point. And then I was getting so much inflammation. I had really bad arthritis. I do kind of like, you know, onset arthritis from the job. Yeah. But since I cut out all my refined carbohydrates, I dropped all my body fat and I just held on to all my muscle mass and my inflammation went away. My tendonitis or like my, my arthritis pretty much completely went away. Um, so I, I bring that up to say my, my, my training hasn't changed a ton. My movement patterns have improved because I'm not so big, but I've always been more, 
on the side of training for high volume at the highest possible weight. So like uh, okay. is a percentage, right? It's like, I don't, I don't typically lift in the nineties at all. So I lift like, okay, mathematically, like what's the heaviest amount I can weight, I can lift of, of weight and move it the most amount of quality reps. That's going to give me the mathematical largest work output. So that's kind of wow, been my okay. focus for a long time. It's like, I don't care if I squat 400 pounds, how many times can I squat 300? Like that, it's that mentality. It's like, okay, how do I, it's like, I say it like this, let's say you had to do a hundred baseball swings on a tee. This is mm -hmm. kind of how I approach it. We put an accelerometer on your back and I have you swing as quick as you can from one tee to the next. Well, by your sixth or seventh swing, your bat speed is going to drop down a ton. But if I said, okay, we got to get as many swings as we can at high velocity all the way out to a hundred. Well, how do we do that? we'd probably group them in sixes, fives or sixes. Take five hard swings, short rest period, five hard swings, and then you just start managing rest period to get that velocity up, okay? Because in weight okay. training, if you wanna be as strong as humanly possible, you're only changing two variables. You're only changing the mass on the bar, right? Gravity's uh -huh. not changing, so mass is a constant unless it's changing, okay? The distance of your rep shouldn't be changing, right? The bench press, I have a 17 inch extension on my bench press. So I know I have a 17 inch eccentric, eccentric load on my bench press. So that's 34 inches, just over a meter. So I know if my distance isn't changing, the mass isn't changing. The only thing that's changing mathematically is my state of acceleration. That's by Newton's second law. Force equals mass times acceleration. I don't give them a math trip here. This is kind of how I box it in my head. It's like, what's the heaviest pound of mass I can move over distance efficiently? That will 100% of the time give me the highest I work output. As long as gotcha. I, my body holds position, right? Like think of like you can get in golf swing. If I want to have the best possible golf swing, it's got to be a fundamentally smooth swing. It can't mm -hmm. be a wonky swing. You won't produce the force. So it's the same under a bar. Quality reps will always trump negatives or poor movement patterns because in physics if your bar if the bar is not accelerating or if it's not in a state of constant acceleration i.e it's not lessening the acceleration then we know we're accruing workload if the bar speed is slowing down unintentionally you are not accruing workload at the capacity that you can so you're actually doing yourself a disservice when it comes to muscle growth maximal strength or strength endurance acceleration is the key as long as the mass isn't changing and your distance isn't so it's the only variable so i kind of get on that tangent a little bit um, okay and so because the long 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 time of the question was like how are you changing how's it changing my diet's changed a lot my training based on no. my movement pattern quality improving that's what's changed as i've lost weight my mobility's improved, all those sort of things. So I just keep working on quality of movement and my strength hasn't gone down really at all in total. So okay. like it, 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 yeah. you know, it's, it, I'm not super lean and I'm not trying to be, I'm trying to keep a little bit of fat on me to still have some endurance, but I feel pretty darn good. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy you mentioned the, um, the food because a lot of people negate that part of it. Um, a lot of people just think it's train, 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 and they don't 
even mention what they're putting into their body. Um, a few years back, I went, I went plant-based and I, I, I was the same way like you. I, um, I ate um, a lot of starchy foods and um, I noticed that I was carrying a lot of like uh, a lot of extra weight. I was inflamed. I was having issues with my knees and so on. So um, when I went plant-based, I pretty much was, it was like an, it was an alkaline diet pretty much. And a lot of the uh, inflammation that I had in my knees, my elbows and my wrists were, they went down um, tremendously. And I attest that to the change in the diet. Um, I did lose a, a little bit of strength, but I'm kind of relatively in the same ballpark. So um, there's a lot of people that see me. I was, I was up to, I wasn't as big as you, but I was up to about 230, 235. And um, I cut down to like, I'm, I'm about 208 pounds now, but it was primarily because of my diet, because I know my, my training hasn't changed much. It was the, the food. And a lot of people, when they see the change in my body, you know, they usually are like, well, well what have you done differently? And I'm just like, honestly, I just changed the food, the food intake. I pretty much trained the same. Yeah. And I'm kind of on this, kind of on the same tangent too. I, I, um, I train high value versus, you know, a ridiculous amount of weight. Um, mm -hmm. uh, I used to train with a guy who had the same philosophy as you. And I noticed that, um, you know, he was able to move like, um, for instance, you know, I, I crossed it. So, um, you know, we would, we would snatch. So in, I would notice that this dude, he wasn't a very big guy, but he could snatch 225, probably like 15 to 20 times with no problem. And, but his, but he, you would never see him like one rep max his snatch. He would always move a specific amount of weight over a period of time. And I noticed that he had a lot more endurance than me. That was one, but two, he was stronger than me in the one rep max. I just, I just never knew it. Cause I never saw him max out right. his, his, uh, his one rep max. So it's because he was doing these type of um, this type of training value is how he was able to you know keep that strength and also keep that muscular endurance. So I'm I'm happy that you mentioned that because I think a lot of people um, don't think about quality over quantity. It's you know quality reps, um, good weight, and just making sure you're optimizing that rather than just going to the bar, loading it up as heavy as possible, and you know potentially hurting yourself and just not getting as as much out of the workout. You bet. Yeah, it's how I always have that conversation with people. I always put it in context of sport because mm -hmm. what in ball sports makes tends to make sense to a lot of people, whatever it may be. But you're talking about if you want to hit a ball as far as humanly possible, it comes down to number one, it comes down to mechanics, right? Usain Bolt is able to produce as much force as he can because his mechanics allow for it. <laughs> He doesn't, you know, his arms aren't running across his body when he sprints, you know, and all these sort of things that we just certainly we, we, we should put that, that, the, the claws in there. Not really, but it's like, yeah, it was, it's Usain Bolt extraordinarily gifted. Yes. But with those gifts, he moves better than the people around him. Right. You, mm -hmm. you know, Bryce Harper, LeBron James, you usually list any athlete that you want and go, well, how is it that that individual is able to produce that much force? Their movement patterns, right? How is it Brian Shaw can lift that much? How, how much, you know, Thorne Bjornsson, how he can deadlift that much weight? Yes, he's gifted and strong, but he's doing it. His mechanics are good, real good, right? Mm -hmm. just list on and on and on. And, and I think that we as human beings have put so much value on the 1RM 
when if you take the best athletes in the world in any sport, what what their bet what separates them from the herd isn't their one RM, it's their total work capacity. It's yep. the it's the how much work they can do at the moderate level. Yep. Right? It's and that's what it is. It's submaximal work with precision with a tremendous amount of volume over time. That is how quality reps, like shooting in the range, right? It's like we can take a four by four piece of paper, stick it on a target with nothing else on it. And you get a bunch of people shooting at it, shot groups all over. But the moment you put any sort of target on there, you see shot groups still just come towards the target. Mm -hmm. So you can't just arbitrarily move things and think that you're gonna, without it, like with, without a doubt, get better. Because then if that were the case, there'd be no shooting instructors, there'd be no running coaches, there'd be no swimming coaches. Doing more of something would yield the desired improved result. But so precision, and that's the thing is, the more skill you acquire in the weight room or in sport, the more focus towards that skill that has to be maintained in training. It's not like all of a sudden, LeBron James just stops focusing when he's practicing or playing. He doesn't just arbitrarily achieve that, that level of success and talent. He's got to focus even more and more and more. And that's what perpetuates greatness. And, but you know, law enforcement and fire, we have to always be on. And, and that is where I look at it. It's like where in your training, law enforcement, military, can you train with great stress all the time and still allow the job to happen. Well, we can't put you guys in a CQB environment that's opt like that's heightened stress constantly. It's just too much, mm -hmm. right? You know, yeah. you, you know, beyond live fire, what can you do? That's the limit. That's the limit of the stress. Well, in the weight room, we can dose you every the training room, jujitsu, CrossFit, weight room, whatever it may be is we can dose our law enforcement officers and our firefighter military, we can dose stress every single day in a controlled, safe environment that in which the focal point is learning, right? That is stress mitigation is, because if you put someone in a stressful situation and they are making decisions, that stress, that sense of stress tends to go away and people make good decisions. That's the weight room. Yes. That's the weight yes. room. It's like we can dose you with stress every day and go, hey, pay attention to where your knees are at. Pay attention where your shoulders are at. Pay attention where your head's at. That is decision-making under duress. So if it, we can't that's – that's the gateway to combatives. That's the gateway to doing um, – I'm not sure what you guys call them, but like uh, control tactics right yeah. all of the physical fitness is the gateway to all, to stress mitigation because you can do it every day and, and and all we need is compliance we don't you don't have to be a police officer and say you have to bench press 225 no mm -hmm. you just need to be there on a daily basis yep. that's compliance i don't need my, my all my police officers do 50 push-ups or 50 pull-ups i just need you to be compliant on a on a majority basis to show us that your physical readiness is a pillar of um, what it is. That's it. That's what I'm, I'm trying to do. I'm so happy that you mentioned that because a lot of people, 
you know, when, you know, when everybody started talking about this whole police reform, right? Um, you know, that was one of the things that I brought up, you know, um, everything that you just mentioned is what I brought up. You know, like you get these guys in a weight room and then you expose them to stress in a controlled environment and you, you know, you, they, they start to see it. And then that way they can react when the time does come over a period of time. If you introduce these people to these stress levels, um, eventually when that time does come for them to act, you know, they, they have been, they, they've been around it, they've seen it, they've, and then they can make the adjustment. But if you're not doing it, and we all know, um, you know, and Frank can attest to this, that police officers, a lot of, a lot of us don't really take this job as serious as we should. You know, we don't put the right foods in our bodies. We don't, you know, we don't train efficiently. We don't, we don't do those type of things. We don't, you know, we don't mitigate the stress. You know, we take a lot of that, we bring it home. And, you know, a lot of these guys take the job and they bring it home with them. And then all of a sudden, you know, you compound that by five years and it's taking a toll one on your mental health, but two, physically it's taking a toll on their physical health. So a lot of these guys are, you know, run down uh, mentally and physically. And I always tell these people, like, if you have a sound, if you have a sound body, um, you know, and a sound mind, when you're out there, you're that much more better than the opposition. You know what I mean? Agreed. And I think a lot of these guys don't really understand that. And the fact that someone of your caliber has just mentioned that and all these things that you just, you, that, that you just said, I, I preach this on a daily basis. It's almost like a lot of the guys that I work with, it goes in one ear and out the other. You know what I mean? And, and, and it's sad because now we're at a place in this country where they're talking about police reform and, and everything that you just mentioned, that should be our police reform. You know, introducing these guys to everything you just mentioned, that's where the reform comes. It doesn't come by defunding us. It, 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 it comes from exactly what you just mentioned. And I'm super happy that you mentioned that because a lot of our listeners are, you know, they're, 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 they're pro first responder, but we also have a lot of people who are just trying to get some insight, you know, being on the outside, you know, being a civilian and, and, and kind of looking in and saying, well, you know, how do you guys become better without removing you guys from, you know, the neighborhoods that need the policing and what you just said, hit the nail right on the head. So I'm, I'm happy you said that, dude. Sorry if that was a little long-winded, man, but I'm very no, passionate no, it's, about it's, it. But that's right, though. Like, that, that's universally, that's the one thing the law enforcement is feeling across the country. Like, there's this sense of, like, there's something that can be done to improve or at least tell, let's, we, we have to, I, I think that a lot of departments are out there going, there's got to be something that we can engage and communicate with the population that we're doing our best. Well, mm -hmm. it, one of those is, is like, hey, we are, we are right now it, it, all for reformation, but appropriate to the needs of the department, not to the appropriate to the needs of someone's social behavior, yeah. right? Let the social behavior be the catalyst for change, but don't let the social behavior be like the defining sort of mechanism as to how much it's going to be changed you know yep. it's like yes i got it like we want our police officers making better decisions under duress well how do we do that we can't just obviously go hey your police officer go go into this this neighborhood and, and get it on the job trading that's not what we're trying to do yeah there, there's got to be understanding with this reformation that everything is changed like we keep talking about culture this and culture that. They're like, 
culture is not a derivative of, of policy. <laughs> culture should be a derivative of the people that are meant to hold policy, right? You guys aren't police officers and military are not policy makers. We are enforcers of justice and truth. That's, that's what we are supposed to be. You, you guys are out there enforcing the policy that is set forth by a governing body. Okay. That's supposed to manage the people. Well, that's, that's what I'm looking at going, okay, well, how do we serve our people? Well, we, we owe our people to be ready. That, that is, that for me is where, you know, there is this weird expectation that there needs to be perfection behind a badge. Like we're, we're asking our police officers to be perfect. No, 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 no. Let's ask them to be vigilant and be well-trained. That's what I'm asking them. Be, be aware, awake, and have the means to, to do what is, is meant, what is their job within their scope of their practice, right? Of that profession. And that's what we're trying to get people to do is understand. It's like, Hey, if, if you have enough um, emotional bandwidth being stressed out in a gym, right? In a jujitsu, a, a box or a traditional gym, whatever it may be. If we, if that's the point, you go, what's the point of this? Like we're trying to stress you out in the same way selection does, right? That's what it is. That's what boot camp is. That's what, the academy is there's a there's a part of that whether people want to admit it or not there's a portion of that's for deselection we 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 actually want to have a training standard folks because that will deselect right and people there is this weird thing that's like if you use the the community in which i came from as a job no one has any it's the it's the most difficult standard air quotes difficult standard in our military are they having trouble getting people to volunteer for that? No, they're getting 900 people every six weeks, right? Mm -hmm. to, to go to that special operations program. It's like, but the police academy here just is about to class up with only 13 people. Yeah. It's like, how, how are we as a, as a civilian population asking our law enforcement to govern it basically it safely govern these neighborhoods in which we sleep in, but they don't have the manpower because they don't have the support. Well, you've got to make these people, right? in my opinion, as an administrator, how is it that you get people to come to the special operations community? Well, on the backside, they know that they're going to have a certain level like of income, a lifestyle and protection from that organization. And now, well, of course, police officers aren't coming in like in droves to the city to, to sign up because it's like you have society that's throwing mud you have government and officials throwing mud at our own police department you're like well shit why the hell would i want to put a badge on right well i'm saying okay we can't fix all of that policy stuff right now but what we can do is this just like we did in world war ii okay why is there push-ups pull-ups sit-ups and run you know, for a, a standard screening test on our military and law enforcement. Because there was a time at the turn of the, well, post-turn of the century, pre-World War II, there were not a, enough fit males to serve. So they instituted the presidential fitness uh, um, organization within school systems, right? All the stuff you and I grew, we all grew up playing, you know, you know, 
doing the, the sit-ups, the push-ups, the shuttle runs, all those things, because there was a, a real need to, if there was ever going to be a draft again. Well, now that needle has swung so far the other way where we didn't have enough fit people because of malnourishment post Great Depression, right? So we had the, the real pandemic in 1918, post-World War One, goes right into the Great Depression, straight into the Dust Bowl in the 30s, and now we have World War Two. So we have this huge time of like great famine and need. So of mm -hmm. course we didn't have enough fit people in our military, so they instituted this. Well, I'm saying is like they've now that swung so far that's like, you know, the United States Air Force for the next 365 days isn't doing any fitness testing or standardizing for their for their airmen. So now you've had 365 days where, as far as I'm concerned, these airmen have nothing else better to do but every day but PT. I'm not sure why we got rid of the PT test for a year and all that stuff, but that's why I look at it and go, what is the a pillar of our military? Literally, like in this, if you go through any of the any of your law enforcement manuals, like the inception of like, this is what our police department believes in. Within that organization, you're gonna see that a pillar for you guys is physical readiness. There's a physical fitness standard, if I'm not mistaken, probably to either come into your academy or graduate from it. Because that exists, it is now a pillar of your organization. And that pillar, once you get the badge, once you put the uniform on the military, it's being eroded big time. It's like, well, you've gotten here once. Well, we don't no longer need to check your standard, but we all know that, like, imagine if that is the standard in showing up to a serious, you know, you get a call from dispatch, this is serious, whatever it may be. And you got guys that rolled up be like, well, I haven't been to a call in years, but let's see how this goes. Yep. That's a terrible idea. So why are we allowing our law enforcement military to go, well, I'm a leader now. I don't have to stick to the standard, but you're holding me to the same standard of adjudication as you. If you were on the street, why are you not? You know what I mean? It's just such a weird thing. Do what I say, not what I do. do. Not all like that. I know I'm, I'm monologuing here, but I'm frustrated because it's you all. Like you all are saying, we need, we need, we, we, we deserve. You're right. All the police officers I deal with are saying, yeah, we need, we need, we deserve. And I'm like, you're right. But the leadership's like, well, we'll just cut funding here and move it to here. And I'm like, okay. And, and, and it's, just, it's just not right. At the end of the day, it's, it's just not, not right. So that's that's kind of my two cents on that mess i guess common sense is not so common really you would think um if if uh, how do i say this jeff just blessed us with some holy water jay so for our listeners and yeah. bring the cow bring the cowbell for the pr uh that was <laughs> i don't even know how to piggyback or book bag off what was just said uh, a lot of things ran through my mind um a lot of things that uh i'm thinking and, and fellow co-workers were thinking and, and jay's thinking um but going back to your training real quick, um, we've had, you said Brian Shaw, we had Eddie Cohen, um, we had Josh Bryant, Joe How Strong on here, and they all said the same thing is that they had a plan and they stuck to it. Just because they felt great that day, let's say you hit 300 for 10 or 15 reps and you're like, all right, I could probably hit 400 today. Let me do it. They're, no, they're not going to get off the plan and hit that 400 or that 405 or go higher and 
Josh Bryan said it best is what if he has um, firefighters as you know that he's coaching, if he knows it's a hot summer week and they're going to be a busy week, he's not going to have them max deadlift uh, the day before they go in for the two 48-hour shifts because not only physically, you know, like you said, we're stressing out the body. We're, 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 a lot of people are saying, you know, when we work out, they think they need to work out, work out, work out so much. Like when you're working out, what are you doing? You're just breaking down and stressing the muscles and the stimulus, right? All the work comes in from the sleep and the eating. And you just basically said it yourself is changing those, th- those two little parts of the formula change your life tremendously. And mentally, physically, nervous system wise, people really don't understand how much of an effect everything has. So I'm really happy that you brought that up. And for me, going, you know, high school football, the college football and the powerlifting, then going through what I went through and starting strongman, without all that that physical fitness and everything, I wouldn't even be the person I am today. Like that makes a huge part of me ment- mentally and my nervous system. And like you said, hypervigilance. How do we get a, a police officer, for example, to be hypervigilant? You know, they're like 24-7. And how do you get them to come down? and to look at where their feet are and stay grounded. Um, I think that was just beautifully said. And yeah, it's not about defunding. It's about putting the money in the training. Once you do the academy, that physical fitness test, that's it for 25 years. You got, you got guys that never ran a, a mile after that for the rest of their life. Right. Now they show up or they're on a detail at Trump Tower and all of a sudden you have an active shooter and you got to run three blocks and you're not even going to be there. Yeah. You know, So they need to implement like you said, you just got to do it. You got to have every six months or a year, same fitness test over and over and over again. And it's not to be mean or a dick. It's to save someone's life, to save your life and your partner's life. And it's funny that you brought that up because also don't even like, we're not even thinking about the job real, real quick. Something happened to me three weeks ago, Jay and a few close friends of mine known, but for this situation for me to happen and to react, it's all because of the time in the gym and everything like that. I was driving in the work and I'm on the Bronx River Parkway and I see a Mustang, boom. And this is off duty, you know? So again, as a police officer, you always have to be aware. Like we just talked about hypervigilance. It's not just on duty. It could be anywhere. It could, like we talked about before we were recording the gym um, in the supermarket, something that you run into or know. I see this Mustang hit its brakes. Boom. Looks like a bumper car. And you know, when a car rear ends another car, you're like, Oh, so I keep driving. I'm like, all right, Frank, I'm talking to myself. Don't stop. Just keep driving. Go to work. You're five minutes away. Hits a white uh, hits a white jeep. The girl in the white jeep is holding her neck. I'm like, oh. so the white jeep hits a black a black Escalade. So it's a it's a three car vendor vendor. The girl in the Escalade gets out of the car all frantic, runs right to the passenger the back seat. I'm like, great. There's probably kids involved or maybe an older woman involved or something. I don't know. Something's going on. So I pull up 20 yards in front in the middle of the lane. I get out of my car. Right when I get out of my car, what's going on? I see the black Escalade coming right at me. Boom. What do you do? You don't have time. Like it's react. Either get hit or move out of the way. So I tried to run up to the Escalade and, and open the door quick. I had no time. I moved out of the way. The Escalade ends up hitting my car then rolls about 15 or 20 yards down the Bronx River Parkway. So here I am chasing this thing 20 yards, open the car, put it in park. And then I, you know, get out of the car, make sure everyone's okay. Go through the motions. Anyone call 911 yet? No, the kids in the Mustang were young. So just like a simple incident like that, like one of the, fastest reactions times you have to have like not working is that hyper vigilance like and i really test like if i had to do a testimonial on that incident that was because of my perception and my reaction time from working out you know the strongman training that's that i'm very big into that does that's such a good 
you know, it, it relates to the real world so well. You're moving things, you're dragging things, and you're doing it under time, and you're doing it, um, you know, you're really working your aerobics and everything. And that mentality right there, if I wasn't lifting or if I just, you know, that could have been a bad incident, you know? So I really, I, I'm, everything you said was beautiful, and, and you know, you hit it, you hit the nail on the head. That was, you can't, you know, working out is not just torturous. It's not because I'm just going to, you know, once you start showing up, then you're going to realize, and like you said, when you're, when you're 12 years old lifting, how much of a real world, not just in the weight room, what it does to you in the real world, your life choices, your decisions, how you feel, the fight for your mental health, depression, anxiety, make the right choices in life. And I really testify with my parents and my family, but also me, me lifting in the gym and watching other people lift in the gym and grow together. It's just a huge outlet on everyday life. Like I just, it blows my mind sometimes. Like you can make working out for free, push-ups, sit-ups, running, right? You just got to get shoes, shorts, and a t-shirt. Why wouldn't people do it if it knows it could prevent disease? If average age of a cop is 57, you know, that's, that's mind boggling. Um, and a cop averages four to six hours of sleep. People don't know that sleep is, you know, oh, what supplements do I need? Oh, do I need tests? Do I need Anavar? No, you need sleep. sleep that is the yeah. major key to everything. And they did a study. I got off the, I got, there's a book out there. I don't know if you ever heard of it already called the emotional survival guide for law enforcement by uh, Dr. Kevin Gilmartin. I actually had a conversation with him on the phone last week for 30 minutes and they did a test. They did two tests. He, he told me one was at Duke university. They took a group of people that were depressed. Okay. For a month, they had them just take an SSRI antidepressant. The other group, they had them walk 20 minutes on a treadmill and they just had them walk, force them to do it. The same results from taking the pill to just the 20 minute walk on how much um, the, the scientific experiment showed that 20 minutes of fit, physical fitness. And he said 22 minutes a day for a first responder decreases type two diabetes, heart attack and stroke tremendously. And the, there was another study done with decision-making sleep fatigue. A lot of people, they look at these bad shootings and these bad decisions by cops that happen no, cops don't want to do this on purpose. They don't want to shoot an unarmed person. And it's the worst thing you can ever think of or get into it. Something happened to your partner by accident. It's the sleep fatigue and the decision-making that uh, civilian was like 80%. They thought the test like 80% better than first responders because of their sleep, their, their sleep and everything and, and the way they eat and everything compared to a first responder. So right. I just wanted to put it out there and, you know, thank you for bringing that up, Jeff, because that was, it's that was interesting great. how, how many statistics we hear, especially as a player, it's, higher, right? you know yeah. I mean? it's just like, the, the reality is like, the statistics like that, that you hear are really consistent. You hear the consistent statistics of under servicing, you hear it all the time. And, I, and I'm not sure what, at what point we think that we can continue to resolve this with just implementing programs like, Oh, well, we're going to do this wellness class. So you can, I think that there, it's, it's just a weird thing. People have got to admit that when you become a police officer and it's okay, when you become a law enforcement, become law enforcement, become firefighter, become military. It's like your, your life has now become that job as well. in in, in many parts, and that's okay. And that's, that's why people, you know, like your accountant isn't necessarily talking about, mitigating stress when they come home yeah leave work at home what now but i think that people don't realize that people are compiling the statistics is my point for a reason 
it doesn't seem like there's a lot of people seeing the results and going, oh, there's, there's some real change we need to implement, not just shifting priorities to something else, right? And, I, and I, that's what I'm saying is like, to get more physically fit, you gotta work on your physical fitness, right? Just talking about it isn't gonna help, right? Doing a class, like a one-day class with a dietitian from the local hospital that's gonna talk about things that aren't super relevant for this population. And that's why I was saying is like, take any, take any division one or professional organization and go, are they lacking? Are they lacking in strength coaches? Nope. Are they lacking in dietitians? Nope. Are they lacking in doctors? Nope. Are they lacking in sports psychologists, right? Clinical sports psychologists? Nope. They all have them. Why? They're all trying to get a better performance out of these men and women under this very finite, low risk, high reward job sport, <laughs> right? With respect, I like watching sport as much as the next guy. But why is it that when you go to a police department or fire, fire department or you go in the military and go, hey, who do you see if you want to improve on your mental aspect of this or mitigate stress? This, it's, like, it's like basically all we have is that, that little piece of paper you pull the tab off by the drinking fountain. It's like depressed, call this number. Like, that's the extent of availability that you have, like these real needs, right? Mental health, emotional health, physical health. Like it's, people don't even know where to look within the departments. Like, I don't know. I don't even know where to go. I don't even know where to start. That right there is why that's become the real issue, I think. Because let's just say for the sake of argument, like being devil's advocate for all of us to go, Let's just say that it's perfectly acceptable for someone to come to the academy that may never have been totally exposed to sport, but can still come with a relatively ready physical body. They don't have to be studs, but you've seen plenty of people come to the academy with very little sports exposed, but still are able to navigate the academy. My point in saying that is like just a little bit of authentic education goes a long way early on. Right. If I want to, if I want to address the he mental and physical well-being of my police officers, I've got to do it as soon as they walk through that academy gate. Because what you end up doing is this, just like in professional sports, just like you guys are experiencing now. Like you've got guys in the department that are say this all the time. They're like, "Well, I never had to do that when I was this, so I'm not going to do it now." Well, but if that was part of the academy process knowing that, hey, when you leave the academy, that standard still exists. So that's kind of what we're talking about. It's like, why is it in the academy, but it's no longer important when we get out? Like, I'm not going to let you become a police officer if you can't meet this physical standard. Five years later, like, well, you can't meet the physical standard, but you can still be a police officer. Like, how is there still value there? Same with our military. It's like, you have every opportunity to Again, no one's asking anyone to be an Olympic level athlete. We're just, I, there are guys that I know here and I'm sure you're the same that can't get in and out of their cruiser. There is one sure. particular gentleman here that I know of that we've dealt with and I've been in a class with and like he literally he has to grab the handle, turn his body to get both legs out and then he has to like fucking muscle up himself out of the car to get it and by that point right you know he's fixing his belt 
trying to get to the car that he pulled over to, you know, the out taillight or whatever, you're talking like three minutes has passed before you can even get to the next, get to the vehicle kind of thing. And you're like, Hey, it takes you three minutes to get out of your vehicle and get here. Like, I don't feel super safe to be truthful, you know? And, yeah. and, and, and here's the thing. Am I, am I fat shaming? You bet your ass. I am <laughs> fucking police officer, man. You know, I, 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 I mean that with, I mean that with, because the police officers aren't there, aren't there going, I'm saying it, right? So another police officer can have to say that and get in trouble. If you're in fucking uniform and you're a police officer, your ass better be able to run for 800 meters. Yep. Pierre, that's all I'm asking. Run efficiently for 800 meters, right? So you let the protocol do its work. No one's asking you to fucking foot run after someone for three miles, right? So let's right. be super clear in what our intentions are here. It's like, do I expect the police officers to come to my training facility to perform like I do? No, I don't. But I do expect them to be get tired in my under my under my guidance. Get tired. Be try your best to move with precision while being tired. That is a decision. Now we're making decisions under duress, and that will very much improve your decision making. That is a stressful environment when you're encountering somebody that you don't know their intention. Like that's all we're also trying to do. Yes. I'm getting, getting you physically fit, but I'm also making you more emotionally aware, that emotionally aware when you're tired. And where else can we do that? Right. In the weight room. In the gym. Yeah. Yep, in yeah. the gym, in the track, you know, in the jujitsu mat, somewhere like, because that's all this are. Like at some point you're just acquiring skill. What are your reps? You're practicing an intended skill to create an adaptation. Right? Bigger muscles, faster muscles, stronger muscles, whatever it is. We're just trying to create an adaptation. And stress, if you don't manage stress, it turns into a lack of adaptation. You don't manage it, right? And so if we can practice managing stress every day in the weight room or in the track or wherever it is, now you're practicing something in which, well, what do you as a police officer practicing every single time you go on duty? Dealing with people making decisions under duress. That's what we're doing, right? And okay. then, right, then it's like you can make, if, if the department wants to put additional, you know, onus on the officers, well, then they can, right? You know, this the selection of the canine, the SWAT, the Riverine, whatever it is, there's further selection to them. Awesome, right? And I, and I think that every department should go, well, let's up our standard. Why? Because like I said before, no one's clamoring. No one's, no one's having a hard time getting a special operations military side. And I think that if they up the standard for you all, you'd get a higher quality individual because they know, right? Absolutely. They also know that like, well, yeah, they're bringing, they're letting the fucking, the riffraff in off the city to the academy. And I want to be part of that. Yeah, That's not special, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> so I, I just, I just, I'm looking at going like, I think that we're underselling the value of people wanting to be police officers, like that real intrinsic desire to serve and protect, it's inherent across a lot of people, but a lot of people won't tolerate the bullshit, so they won't, so it's like, if the department is really putting their foot down and going, hey, we're really taking care of our people, we're investing in their health, we're investing in their training, 
We're investing in their free time to spend time with their family. We're investing in all those things that they say they do. Let's fucking really do it. And now you won't have a problem getting people come. Now it'd be like, well, we got this waiting line. We've got a, we, there's a waiting line for the Academy this year. I remember that happened to my cousin who's been a police officer for years in Omaha. I mean, he had to wait year after year after year, like wait to get on. And finally, like seven years in, he's like, finally gets a spot, you know, because there's just a huge waiting list. So yep. that's what that's I would hope. Yeah, I would love to. I and mean, I've heard those stories here. Like a buddy that graduated Norfolk, graduated nine people. Nine. Yeah. It's like, oh, my goodness. Classes are a lot smaller now compared yeah. to, you know, years ago where, you know, guys were were literally falling over themselves to try to get an, an opportunity to be on this job. And it, it's sad what it's come to, but it's like, it's like you mentioned, it's, you know, I, I always say, you know, the police officer now is like the forgotten soldier. You know what I mean? Like at the end of the day, you know, these guys go out day in and day out and, 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 you know, they put their life on the line and, you know, to come home to turn on the, the TV or, or picking up their phone and seeing, you know, all this negative rhetoric towards police officers is kind of, it's like a punch to the stomach, man. Um, you know, I know it's not easy and I try to tell guys like, you know, tune yourself out of that because to go to work every day and especially from what we just came through, right? We had um, the pandemic, right? And then, you know, just dealing with that on a daily basis where they, where they told you to, hey, you got to switch your schedule right now. So instead of working your eights, now you're working twelves, you know, because we're trying to reduce the infection rate. And then you're going to work every day and you're seeing death and you're seeing families deal with death. So like as a police officer, you, you do deal with death, but I, the, the scale that we saw it during the pandemic was, was ridiculous. And on top of that, you saw families where, whereas like if you went to a DOA, um, you know, you, you might've, it might've been like a check and advisor. No one was in the house. I can't tell you how many DOAs I went to during the whole pandemic situation where the whole family's in the house. And because of the, the death rate was so high, you know, the ME wasn't coming out. So bodies were staying in the house for a day or two or three, depending on where you were. And, you know, if they were able to, you know, get a, a funeral director to send a car over to the house and pick up the body, because that was a problem. It was an issue. The body toll was so high that they were getting so overwhelmed that they couldn't send out enough cars to get these bodies from point A to point B. So you had people who were sitting in a house with a, you know, with a corpse and they're, you know, we, we, we weren't accustomed to seeing that, you right. know, like, and then it's like, you know, day one, day two, day three, you're seeing this every single day you go to work. And then you had the unfortunate um, death of George Floyd. And so now you have, we went from heroes, right, to a swift, you Real know, quick. turn of events to being the villain. And it's just like, we, we couldn't catch a break, man. Just when no. people started to like us again, the George Floyd situation happened. And then now we're back and we're, you know, we're, we're, we're back to being villains again. So yeah. um, it's, it's, it's interesting to hear you speak on this because um, you, I have the very similar, very similar ideology that you have. And um, it's, it's great to have conversations like this and sit down and talk to like-minded people who, who, who share the same views and opinions, because especially now it's, it's, it's like, um, you know, either for us or against us. And it's, uh, more often than not, a lot of people are against us. You know, and it, 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 you know, it's tough, you know, me and Frankie have conversations weekly and we talk about this type of stuff. So it's, it's good when people get to sit down and hear guys in a group like this speaking about 
you know, what's going on, 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 on this forefront, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I you know, I, I, I'm emotionally pulled in a couple of, a couple of different ways of what, what I, how I feel about all of it, you know, like in the sense of the way that society is, like you said, you demonize you guys or whatever. It's, it's such a strange, it's such a strange thing that, I can't imagine ever being that that against which clearly provides a real service to this society. Like it's just it's so strange to me how there is there is legitimately appears to be a fundamental ideology that is perpetuating here in the United States that this country is somehow better without law enforcement. I, here's and I mean no this. Sense. I mean this from a hypothetical. I would love to see a large city go without law enforcement for a week. Mm. The purge, I would the love. I'd love to see Chicago without law enforcement for for, for a week. L.A. Yeah, I mean New York, Miami. The list goes on and on. Small town America. I would right. I would love to see you guys just go. All right, motherfuckers. You guys just sit on the edge of the city for a week and just watch it burn. Like yeah. you know, escape, that's like literally what would York. happen. Like, it's like, it's the, the, you know, the old, old, you know, I forget the name of the song from the nineties in t- band called silver chair, whatever. He's just like, I'm just going to watch it. I'm just going to paddle out past the breakers and watch the world burn. Like that's, that's what you would do. I mean, I, I just look at it and go, would people, the, then you'd have p- places of society to be like, no, this is ours. We're going <laughs> to, don't fucking come in here. You're going to, it's like, if yeah. you came into my neighborhood, like the 17 houses in this neighborhood, don't fuck with it. Like, this is not a neighborhood yeah. you want to come fuck around in. There's a bunch of them all over the country. It's like, you'd yeah, see. Like, you, I mean, for sure, you'd see that. Yeah, it'd be you'd definitely see that because they did that in the city. The city, there were people coming out in droves protecting their neighborhoods. And that's what it would have to come down to. Uh, I mean, you know, I was just watching the news yesterday and like, in, in a 24-hour span, I think there was like eight shootings in, in the city, and then you know, with like you know, two fatalities. I mean, it's it's Mad Max 2020, and it's because they you know they want reform, right? So you get rid of these plainclothes units, you get rid of police presence in these neighborhoods, and you have people who live in these communities who are who are saying like, no, we need police presence. You see what happens the minute you take them out of the the equation, what happens? Anarchy. I mean, like it, it's you have people now that it's a mass exodus from the city. Everyone's leaving New York now because, or New York City, yeah. because of what's happening now. The crime rate is through the roof. People do not feel safe. You need um, some level of security, yes. right, to feel safe in your home. You and I don't think these people understand that. And in a minute, I would say this: evil men will do evil things, knowing that there's good people not outside protecting. And this I don't is know ideal people, for them. Yeah, this is like this is an ideal this environment their, for them. So now they know. This is what they've been waiting for. Yeah, this is what they've been waiting for. It's almost like you know, um, you know that movie where like uh, um, was it The Dark Knight when Bane and these guys took over Gotham City. This is this is real life. It's happening now. You bet it is. And I don't know if these people under, understand this. It's like you do not want to get to a point where you can't return. You know what I mean? And it's like it's almost getting there. Like yeah. New York City right now. Is, is a very scary place to be because they gentrified. These people don't understand this too. Places like Brooklyn, 
that have been gentrified in other parts of New York where they've spent lots and lots of money for people to um, basically buy up these neighborhoods and, and, and spend millions of dollars. And now you still have to understand that the surrounding areas still have crime. Yeah. So how do you keep these people in these neighborhoods? You can't because now because now they're scared because if they walk a block down the road, it's it like I said, it's Mad Max 2020. You can't, you know, there's no way you're gonna be able to sustain these neighborhoods and keep these people here if they're in fear of their safety. So you have so you need police. You need that. And I don't know if 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 they understand that. Like a friend of mine just moved to Austin, Texas. They just dismantled the police department. And what's crazy there is that you're getting so many people, it's like a hotbed of like it's a very liberal city because you're getting people from the Northeast, you're getting people from LA and they're moving into, to Austin, Texas. And, you know, Austin, you know, Texas is a red state. And then now you have this one little city here, this one little pocket where it's like, no, we don't want cops here. And you go to any other town, uh, you know, in Texas and it's like they're pro cop and it, you're starting to see the crime, the crime rate there just started to rise. Yeah. And it's just like, I, I mean, it's mine. It's absurd. it's absurd. You know, people want stats, right? They want stats. Like, well, show me the stats, and then we clearly show the stats. Are like, well, those don't those stats don't align with my ideology. Let me see some other stats. Right. Let's look they at the news. All the fake stats that let's align. Look at the news. Yeah, like that, and that's that's all you see is like you watch the news. You don't see any. The only relevant thing that needs to be talked about, as far as I'm concerned, within the COVID conversation at this point, is what's the mortality. What it what is the mortality rate, right? Because we're still mm -hmm. dealing, in in that that mortality rate is directly correlated with density density of population, which makes sense, right? Like, and we just start having these rational conversations with people and go, of course there's going to be more in these areas. Of course, like we got to be mindful of X Y. Like, you know, New York City needs to be a lot more mindful in terms of a social distance than my mother does on a gravel road in Iowa, like. We, but yeah. we we all pretend like everyone's you know we don't have to use our, our brain to kind of rationally navigate this stuff and then and that's i think that that's what's sad because you guys are being asked to use your utmost rational mind to serve but the ones that are like pointing the fingers at you guys going you're the assholes you're like why can't you be rational just for a second so we can create a dialogue and realize we're probably on the same team here you know it's mm -hmm. just it's so interesting how all of a sudden like that uniform just brings about seething hate for what I, I did just, I, it baffles me. The dialogue, I'm not, the dialogue can go a long way, Jeff, you know, you see all these trolls or whatever on social media and you know, I, I don't really talk back or friends that family, friends and friends that I'm like, listen, right back. Hey, let's meet for a cup of coffee and let's talk about this in person and see, you know, try to come to an agreement do of that. you could, you know, no one will ever do that. No one yeah. will ever want to listen and talk no. and go from there. And, you know, again, you just see a person in a uniform, um, you know, a, a white officer in the Bronx, you know, tell me to go back to, uh, you know, the five O precinct, which is Riverdale or the white devil. I'm like, you don't know anything about, you know, you know, I, I've, I've been arrested. I've arrested people. I've put people in a rehab. I've been to a rehab, you know, I'm 28 years old and you know, my life has changed with a lot of life experience. And I'm like, you know, you don't even know, you know, we can't even have a conversation now, like about life or anything. Like I'm, I want to try to help you out as, as best as possible. Okay. You, you just stole something from CVS or from, um, Rite Aid, you know, let's talk to the manager and say, listen, 
Just sign the trespass affidavit. Come on, really? 25 bucks? You don't have to lock them up. Let's try to give people the benefit of the doubt to right. go back and go from there. But a lot of people don't even want to – you can't even have that conversation before they start acting erratic. And I want to go back to what you said about the 800-meter thing because that is so key, Jeff. Um, if you look at it like this perspective, if you're running 800 meters, right, and you don't have to be the hero, the super, the Batman, the, you know, chase him down, get him in cuffs, you know, and it's all, almost impossible to get someone, chase someone down and get him in cuffs by yourself. But anyway, get, you know, it's not, it's not, not impossible, but it's right. not, not like the movies. 800 meters. All right. You're running northbound on Boston Road. All right. They just made a ride on prospect. Now they're going eastbound for 800 meters, a thousand meters. You're just putting over radio transmissions. Yeah. New York City, you're giving the other cops no 25, 30 seconds to get there to get you back up. You don't have to catch the guy. You just got to have eyes on the on the guy yeah. or the perp and go from there. Right. And it's little keys like this in the weight room. All right. I know if I'm chasing someone, I'm not going to be directly behind them. We don't know what what they have, you know. Use cover. You're directly behind them. They turn around, one shot. That's it. You know, it's just like these little things can go a long way. And I'm really, I'm really happy that you brought that up. And Jay brought up, you know, the COVID or we are the heroes or whatever. And you know, when I was younger and being an FDNY or NYPD, that was like a heroic. You felt good about it, a heroic thing to do. You know, it's like now, like a lot of guys feel like they put on the uniform and the badge. It's like they just look at it as a nine to five going to work, but it's, yeah. it's not a nine to five. It's way bigger than that. And you said weeding people out. I think the job needs to, hey, you have you have this test six months. If you don't do it, take away the badge and the gun. Give them three, four months to do it again and go from there. You know, it yeah. just. See, the problem with so that much. is uh, the, uh, the, the union. Right, right. The union still, will, yeah. And, that, and that's where the biggest problem is because somebody will grieve that and, and say that it's discriminatory and. So maybe there needs to be a change in policy from the higher ups, but yeah. um, I do agree with the with the you know every so like quarterly having to pass a uh, a physical standard test of some sort. Um, but like I said, it always goes back down to you know the higher ups and the union because the union of they'll you know cops are our own worst enemies. There'll be somebody to yeah. grieve it, and then all of a sudden it becomes a big issue, and then that snowballs into something bigger than that. And then you get the departments getting sued and that's where that ends up going. Yeah. Because, you know, um, I, I, I made that a, a issue for my, from my department. Like how about, you know, quarterly we do X, Y, and Z. And it was like, yeah, they're all for it. And then all of a sudden someone made a gripe about it. And then yep. there goes but that. You guys Colorado Springs all over again. Right. With the, with the, with the officer that complained. It's just, but I, but I just, that to me is is the issue is like you said it's that policy that policy is it's an umbrella policy that certainly like I, I does again i i don't know where we got off track again i'm not i'm not that person i don't know who, you know it's not like we put our finger on like this moment but the reality is is if if i within my professional knowledge and experience can see an opportunity to make positive change and we're not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. It is physical. Like we, we can't, cause you're not going to mandate sleep, right? That's next level. You're not going to mandate how somebody eats. Like that's the next level conversation after physical preparation, right? It's once, once the physical body is ready to receive stress, it can manage it. But if the body isn't ready to receive stress physically, it will never manage emotional stress either. 
Right? Yeah. And, that, and that's the argument. It's like, okay, fine. Like you, you don't want to phys- be physically fit. Fine. Well then we know that the link from, from emotional aptitude and fitness comes through the physical, right? The emotional fitness never precedes physical fitness. And, and that's what we're trying to think. Well, yeah, but I do this and I do that. And I get, yeah, but if your physical organism is not healthy, when it gets really, really stressed out, you won't have control over it. <laughs> and that's what exactly. you get. You get really bad decision-making when the person is really out of shape physically. It's on the job and off the job. That's what happens. You bet. Yeah. And if they may not take out their frustrations, just like you said, at, while, in, while in uniform, they may take out their stressors on somebody else or something else when they're outside of uniform, which as you and I both know, whether you're in form, uniform or not uniform, the mistakes you make outside of your uniform, you might as well have your uniform on. Oh, military. Yeah. It doesn't matter. There is no separation. That's what I mean by like, we want to separate social and work life. But you understand as long as you wear that uniform, you can. We can't keep making excuses like we are. Not us, and, but you know what I mean. So that's, that's, you know, this is a conversation that's going to go on for a long time. Um, and yeah, I don't think we're at rock bottom yet, right? Like an alcoholic or a drug addict, we're not even close to rock bottom. I don't know. And that's, even the, that's the problem, right? It's like, we really could go, it could get a lot worse before it gets better. But it's like, that's where we're all going. It's like, we, this doesn't need to get any worse. We right. can make it better starting right now. We can start right. making things better now, but it's, it's, that's what we're going to, it's going to be those that make change and those that don't, that's, what's going to happen here. There's going to be some departments they're going to initiate these changes and then there's some that aren't. And then we're yep. going to see the haves and have nots show up again in policy change. And then it's going to create the same sort of thing like that's in Atlanta. It's like tasers. Is it lethal? Is it not lethal? Where is it mm. not lethal? Like yeah, it, this is the, this argument is to be had in physical training, not about tasers. <laughs> this is not a taser issue. This is emotional readiness issue right this is a behavior issue this is a decision making issue this is not a taser issue okay and that's what people are like well yeah the taser is devil no that guy was unprepared or that guy was was doing making the right decision based on policy and that's where you know that's where you and i the three of us are like we're, we're at the ground level trying to make it work and as they change the policy we're still like come on man like we're still trying to get this shit to work and you're already making policy changes. <laughs> yep. Yeah. That's how they always do it. Um, yeah. Jeff, but before we wrap up, you got like 10 minutes left. You have, you have 10 minutes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. All yeah. right. Cool. Cause Jason's got to run to work. So just wanted Jason to, uh, you know, say what he's got to say to you and to the listeners and stuff. You bet. Yeah. Um, I think it's very important that guys like you, um, do what you do because, um, this is what reform should be exactly what you spoke about. I mean, that mission statement, just everything you said earlier um, is kind of pivotal for where the country needs to go in it in regards to this whole reform situation. They like your voice needs to be heard so that people can understand that it's, you know, it's a stress situation is it's, it's a training situation. It's not necessarily taking away from us, and, and having us do more with less, you know? And um, I had been thinking this for a while and I just 
you know, I didn't have the means to getting it out. So I feel like this podcast, um, this particular episode is what I think the people need to hear. Um, and I just, I wanted to personally thank you because um, this has been weighing on me heavily since this whole thing transpired. So, um, you know, because I have 15 years on and I could, if I wanted to tomorrow, I could probably vest out and leave. Um, my guy Frankie here has to do a whole nother 15. So it's like, I'm at the tail end. He's at the you know, 17. Uh, you know, I got to do 22 and a half. See, they made it even longer for us to retire now. He's doing right. 20. I got to do 22 and a half to 25. Yeah. And it's like, I, you know, I sit down and I think about guys like Frankie and it's like, you know, you got a good cop who has to now endure God knows what for the next 17 years. Whereas you have someone like me who can just be like, all right, you know what, I'll put my papers in and I'll, and I could just leave and just vest out. Um, so it's important to have people like you training and, and, and giving people the information and the knowledge that, that, um, you know, it's not necessarily a defund thing. It's a, retrain and and really introduce these guys into high stress situations and then you know do it in a controlled environment so that when, when in fact that day does come that they're able to respond and and not in an adverse way but in you know in a way that's conducive to you know protecting their life the community that they police and you know at the same time upholding the you know the uh, the constitution you know so i just wanted to thank you personally man yeah, my pleasure. And I, and I agree. I think that it's not a defund situation. It's a reallocate. Like, that's Absolutely. right. Like we, we, the best thing that we can do as a, as civilians for you guys is say, Hey, what more can we give these police officers so they can make better decisions under duress? That's really what is a civilian. I'm not saying, Hey, what can we take away from these folks? No, like, and that is where, that's where, that is where I feel like that's my lane. I know, I know what I can affect, right? Like, you know, like I said, like I said, I don't teach the tactical shooting anymore. I don't teach skydiving. I don't teach demo and all that. Like, I teach people how to move better under when they're when they're stressed out. Mm -hmm. It's my job. Like that. Like really, what? It, and that's right. Look at you guys and go, man. Like, how how are you guys not getting this service? Now I know living that lifestyle and working with you all. So for me, I you know this is my service to you guys, and I appreciate it. And um, this. I feel like that we can best affect this world with our, through our law enforcement, through men serving, men and women serving. Like that's, that's our community folks. Like we talk about culture and community. It starts with our law enforcement. It starts with our firefighters and then, you know, globally like our, our military. But like, if we really want to affect a safe neighborhood, right? For our children and for our community, for our elderly, for our families, for our friends, for our communities. It's through our fire department, through our police department. That's where we affect change. So Amen. if you guys doing what you do, I appreciate what you do. Thank you. Thanks, Jeff. I appreciate it. Um, we always ask, I, I always ask this question, um, especially with your life experience and your fitness and college and being a Navy SEAL. Um, alcohol, have you ever had an issue with it? Do you use it today did you you know put it down how, how do you work with that and, and maybe seen guys really damage yeah no like that? i uh, i come from a family of alcoholics on my dad's side not so much my dad uh extension of that yeah like i i didn't i drank my first bit of alcohol when i was 36 at a wedding um that was the first time i ever tasted alcohol and then another wedding wow. uh, when i was at 36 but i was hooked to opioids for about eight years eight and a half years 
pretty bad, like opioids, uh, heroin, the whole, the whole, all that fun stuff. So like I've, I've got, I went through that, went through the whole suicide piece and <laughs> all that good stuff. And here we are a couple of years later with, you know, with a whole other, whole other life, you know, life ready to live. So reborn. You know, I, yeah, man. Hero, like I, the hero journey. I don't know if you ever heard of the hero journey, but it's by Jason Campbell. But it's about dying and coming back to life, not actually dying, but coming back as as a, as a new person. And you bet. Real, yeah, real that quick, was I want to commend you, I want to commend you on opening up like that. It's it's not easy, and, and I've been there. And I thank you for that. Yeah, like <laughs> there's so many of us, right, that have worn the uniform, and that's not like oh, gather a bunch of drunks and alcoholics. Like no, we just have never been taught how to manage it, right? We've never been taught how to turn the job stressors off and realize that that was actually happening. Like that the job at times was too much and it was manifesting into bad life choices and that's okay. I'm really glad in a weird way, probably like you that I made all those poor life choices so I could be here right now. Exactly. That's what living I'm life that. finally at 40. So and, wow. yeah, that's it's a good place. Said. You know, yeah it's suffering and, gives really good perspective yeah and that's life man you have to suffer to become someone if you don't suffer or, or you go through a hard time then you're not growing and you're not really who you were are meant to be your full potential and it's funny you say that like even if you have a suicidal ideation or you're really depressed and you're not a, like you know you're not i want to say a bad person or a perpetrator or whatever and you tell the job hey i'm suffering all right let's take your gun let's take your shield away let's ship you out about another borough and, and you're the stepchild now for 18 months and monitor you. And you know, it's just like, what's it going to make guys and girls even worse. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. And that's why I started this whole program after 228 police suicides last year. Come on. You know, it really, yeah. I really get really, excuse my language, fucking pissed. And then they make these videos of, okay, yeah, we're here for you, here for you. Then it dies down. And then we had 12 NYPD suicides last year. I think we're up to four this year. I'm very surprised it's lower than it is. Thank God. But, um, it's just like, come on. So that's why I started this program because, you know, fitness saved my life and a lot of people's life. And if you can get like-minded individuals in the same command, in the same gym, you know, Jay's a cop in Westchester. I'm a cop in the Bronx. I might not feel comfortable telling guys in the Bronx what's going on with me, but I mean, Jay, you have a, a close friend now for the rest of your life. So you bet. that's just another story. Um, so before we wrap up, we I always ask these quick little questions to get the listeners to know you more. Um, so... If you have one meal to eat for the rest of your life, uh, what would it be? Healthy, unhealthy? What are you going with? Yeah, this is a good one. Oh man, yeah, mine, mine's pretty easy because like I just okay. my cheat meals are the same as my non-cheat meals. I would just eat probably like elk or bison, like sirloin, Ooh. veggies, veggies and a potato. There you go. Keep it super simple. Nice. Yeah, I, I love bison, elk. I wish I can get it more, but little Joe Rogan. That's funny because when you brought it, when you brought up the Austin, Texas. Uh, Jason did. I just pictured like Joe Rogan down there with an AR and like Elon Musk. I know they just moved to Texas like me. <laughs> right. and, like, Lone Star Rangers, you know? Um, yeah, exactly. What's your favorite movie or two if you have that comes to the top of your head? Um, shoot, man. Probably one of my favorites. Uh, prob- probably Count of Monte Cristo. Ooh, probably. That's the first. That's yeah, the first. And then, or, or maybe Samurai, Last Samurai. Oh, that's a great movie. Yeah. yeah. No one ever mentions that Tom Cruise movie, but that is a Tommy damn good Boy. movie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if you start thinking like, like not not only did he have to learn Japanese, he had to learn the entire cast 
names in Japanese and their mm -hmm. cast members and learn how to be a samurai. <laughs> you know, yep. it's like he, had to, he does all of his own stunts. So I'm just like, man, he can, he can read minds or something. I'm not sure which one yet. So, yeah. It, it, uh, you have one, uh, your type of music, I guess, or you have one song to play to hit a PR, what kind of music you going with? Uh, probably my favorite song of all time. If I had to choose one, it'd probably be, it's actually instrumental by Metallica, okay. Orion. Okay. Not okay. that I did, it just, there's no music. There's no, there's no vocals to it all, but probably my favorite song is Orion. Yeah. We, we had John Meadows on our last episode and he said the same type of thing. No, he gave us some instrumental music and Back just some, no lyrics, you know? So yeah, that or yeah. Tool, tool Anima would probably be up there as well. But yeah. If you have every day in the gym, one compound lift, one main lift, and one accessory lift for the rest of your life, what are you going with? Um, probably deadlift for sure if I had only one lift from that standpoint. And then outside of that, man. Like probably tricep press down. Probably be, I'd, I'd probably stick all posterior to your chain. I'd probably do deadlift lat pull down and then tricep press down those would be my three uh if you had a time machine you come to new york we're like we're like jeff me and jay got a time machine man you're going in the time machine anytime it could be 10 years ago it could be roman time it could be any time as jeff now where are you going anywhere in the world any time period any time period man it could Ooh. be way before you're born man. could have been 20 years ago could have been 1920s world war ii Shoot, man. I don't know, man. I, I think I'd probably go like New York, New York, 1924. Go watch the, the Murderers Row. My my neighbor was the bat boy for the Yankees from 1923 to 1927. So, oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. The, there was right across from Yankee Stadium used to be a hardware store called Kroll's Hardware. That's where a lot of the famous photos of Babe Ruth, like handing out candies and such. Yeah. It was a soda shop. Murderers Row. Yeah, yeah. Love so it. my neighbor was the bat boy for the Yankees from 23 to 27, and his dad owned that hardware shop. Wow. So I got tons and tons of stories from, like, Garrick and Ruth and those guys. That's amazing. So I, th I think that the roaring 20s in New York would have been a trip to see. Awesome. That's the first person for me to mention that. Yeah. I yeah. think. Um, there's one more I want to – ah, one person to meet, dead or alive. Who are you going to meet and hang out with? Man. Jesus. <laughs> I mean, Jesus is kind of like the real obvious answer. I totally would that. But like, I think <laughs> honestly, I would probably go with, huh. I, I think that, man, I think C.S. Lewis would have been a really oh, wow. good person to talk to. Wow. Or Victor yeah. Frankel. The man, man search yes, for meaning the, right. Yeah, so yeah. I, I think, I think, I, I think CS Lewis would have been really interesting to talk to or Robin Williams. That's another, I'm, Oh, that's right? another good one. Yeah. Oh, like I would say CS Lewis. Yeah. Or, or, my, or I'd be, or I'd be uh, Newton, Isaac Newton. Maybe, maybe Isaac him. Newton. <laughs> yeah, you can one. have Jesus, Rob Williams, Isaac Newton, CJ <laughs> yeah, yeah, Lewis, all at like the, the last supper, you know, all talk. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Exactly. Uh, that's, that, those are really good ones. Um, well, Jeff, uh, thank you so much, man, for you know sharing your time, um, your strengths, experience, and hope with us, and coming on the podcast. Uh, 
My name is Frank. You guys know where to find me at reps underscore four underscore responders. Jay, where can they find you at? Uh, you can find me on Instagram at the real jump man, Jay. Um, yeah, that's the only thing I'm really on right now. I'm about to get back on Twitter though. I think Twitter's going to mm-hmm. be my new move. I, I was on it a while change ago and then I got off. Just change it up just a bit. I got you. Where can they find you, Jeff? Uh, my Instagram handle is Jeff CSCS. And then from, from there, I mean, I, I spend some time on there. I'm actually, I don't spend too much time on there. I focus, try to get on my website, performancefirstus.com. That's where okay. uh, kind of my home is, I guess. But I'm pretty easy to trade. If you have questions, email, email the website, you'll get an answer. Yeah. Um, so if, if, I, if I wanted to get in contact with you, just to kind of like pick your brain about some training stuff, I would have to email you there. Yeah. Or, I mean, you could just, yeah, DM me directly or whatever. You bet. Yeah. Okay. If you, if you, if you have questions, we can just shoot an email and then we'll just set up a phone call or something. Awesome. Okay. Easy I enough. appreciate that. Yep. All right, Jeff. Uh, thank you so much, man. Um, seriously. Thanks for everything you've done and what you're doing for first responders and just people that are just trying to get better in, in life. You All know? right, guys, be good. Later, dude. Later.